This week's episode of Carson Sack Podcast is brought to you by King's Hawaiian. King's Hawaiian Sweet Rolls, the original Hawaiian sweet. This island tradition is baked with their signature blend of select milled flours, artesian yeast, and rich and creamy butter. It bakes up so fluffy, moist, and delicious, you can taste the aloha inside. And now introducing King's Hawaiian Barbecue Sauce. King's Hawaiian continues its legacy with an irresistible barbecue sauce. No high fructose corn syrup, no artificial colors or flavoring, and no preservatives. Only quality ingredients combined with the aloha spirit of King's Hawaiian. Now, on this special Thanksgiving episode of Carson Sack Podcast, let's hit that ish. Beans, greens, potatoes, tomatoes, lamb, rams, raw, raw. Beans, greens, potatoes, tomatoes, chicken, turkeys, chicken, turkeys. Beans, greens, potatoes, tomatoes, lamb, rams, raw, raw. Sorry, I knew you guys wanted to clap, but everything I'm gonna say is gonna be amazing. Welcome to the 43rd edition of Carson Sack Podcast, where we talk balls. Thanksgiving is one day away. If you're listening to this on Wednesday, the day it came out. If not, you're waiting to put it off a little bit and you're listening. That's fine. I hope you have a great Thanksgiving or had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, One of, if not the best holidays, probably right just behind Christmas. In this episode, we are going to talk the usual balls, college football, NFL, a little college basketball that I touched on last week. Uh, The Maui Invitational has been going on and it has been a hell of a tournament so far. And also we are going to talk about some, we're going to rank actually, the Thanksgiving foods, the top five Thanksgiving foods and incorporate a little Thanksgiving football traditions into that as well. So it's going to be a hell of a show. Also, have to, have to talk about the golf matchup, the showdown at Shadow Creek between Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson that's coming on. Um, I'll give a prediction about that and then something that the fans aren't really thinking about right away. I'm actually, you know, since we're on the topic, I'm just going to jump right into that because I think that needs to be addressed first and it's a little something that I can talk about. Um, first off, what they're doing, Tiger and Phil, plan for $9 million and all the side bets that they're doing are going to charity. There's already been a side bet made for $200,000 that on the first hole, Phil is going to birdie it. That was made today at the press conference and everything. What I'm super excited for the match itself, but what I think fans of golf are sort of 
not thinking about all the way through and definitely the casual fans that are tuning in because they're two huge names going one-on-one are not thinking about is that when there's a regular golf tournament, there are groups of three and four every day coming through holes, just left and right, one after another, one after another, until the leaders are through the last hole. There's a steady group of people going through it. In this, literally, they are going to be the only two golfers playing on that course at a time. And I know that they're both going to be mic'd up. Both their caddies are going to be mic'd up. They have Gus Johnson calling it, I believe. They got a lot of interesting things going on, especially with the mics. I think that's going to be very interesting. And if they don't hold back and they actually say what they want to say and they don't kind of... Um, sugarcoat it because they know they have live mics on them it's going to be great to hear but I definitely think the casual fan is underestimating the amount of time unless they have carts then it will not be a problem but if they don't have carts which I don't think they should have but if they don't have carts the amount of time it's going to take for them and the downtime they're going to have in between shots just walking to the ball and things like that Bleacher Report and the pay-per-view is going to have so much downtime to fill with like anecdotes and all this other stuff. And they can do that, but the viewing experience, unless it's a shootout, which it easily can be, but no one I feel like is really taking that into account to where all the dead time when it's just going to be them walking to their ball and stuff. And maybe Bleacher Report and the pay-per-view companies are already in their ear and saying hey we're gonna need y'all to talk and do all this and getting you to try and get in each other's head or else the in between the shots is gonna be super boring I don't know but they definitely could what I would propose and what I'd still like to see is maybe have like an undercard for this to where there's still things going on and I understand that Tiger and Phil are the ones selling the pay-per-view, and that's who the people are going to want to see, and you're not going to want to miss potentially hearing any inside information or anything. That's not a shot at Phil. I apologize. Inside trading. Um, If they want to hear maybe conversations between the caddies and the players and having to cut back to them from other groups playing, I get that. But, again... The pace of play isn't going to be a problem, but the in-between shots is going to be a little difficult. And then another thing that I did think about, but it was pretty heavily stressed in the HBO first look thing, the 24, whatever they did on HBO, the previewing the match between Tiger and Phil is this match isn't even guaranteed to go 18 holes. Tiger could be so on or Phil could be so on or one could be so off that this match ends on 15th hole, 16th hole, 17th hole, maybe 13th or 14th. Who knows? It's going to be a hell of an event. Um, again, $9 million to the winner and all the side bets go to the charity of choice of the winner of the side bet. So that's something very cool. I wish that Phil would have brought Bones back on his bag just for this. I mean, it's not a real PGA Tour event. It's just something that I think would be a feel-good moment for the fans and everything like that. But I understand Phil not doing that. And I don't know if Bones can do that contractually with uh, the TV companies and everything that he's working for. But overall, 
I'm going to go out on a limb here. I'm a huge, huge Tiger fan, huge Phil fan. Can't say that enough. Uh, I identify more with Phil because I'm left-handed when I golf. And I'm going to say Phil played terrible at the Ryder Cup. Tiger didn't play much better, but Phil was god-awful. But I just think in the grand scheme of things, this means more to Phil than it does Tiger. Obviously, Tiger and his competitiveness and his whole mentality does not like to lose one bit. And he said it, especially to Phil, he doesn't want to. But I think Phil's entire career, he's always been overshadowed by Tiger. And whenever Phil did something, it was, oh, but Tiger's done this. And it really sucked that for Phil, Tiger came along when he did because Phil was that young, hot startup that was performing and doing so well, winning tournaments in contention for majors. And then out of nowhere, before even Phil had won a major, Tiger came in and won eight of them. So... I just think it means a little bit more to Phil, and he's going to come out and try and bury Tiger. And I think Phil wins on the 18th hole. I do think it makes it all the way, unlike some people are predicting. And I think Phil just somehow finds a way. What they've been saying is on some of these holes, um, you don't really need to hit driver. And... You can, but you don't have to. And that favors both of these guys because both of them kind of shake you with their drivers. Tiger, definitely the better driver. But if Phil can just find the fairway and get his long irons close enough and apply pressure, and I mean, it's not like Tiger's not a good long iron player. Like he's one of the best, if not the best ever at long irons. But if Phil can just find a way to put himself in scoring positions, He's going to have a good chance to win. And I think somehow, some way, and he digs down deep and gets it done and beats Tiger Woods in this showdown at Shadow Creek. Now that we took care of that, I guess I'm just going to move into the Thanksgiving food countdown, the top five before I get into college basketball, uh, college football, and the NFL. So my top five Thanksgiving foods. Here we go. Top five. Not one specific one of them, but the veggie trays that they put out before the actual meal comes out. I'm telling you right now, I carrots, good. Celery, good. Black olives, good. Um, they always come with little ranch dipping sauce in the middle too. That's big. You have cucumbers sometimes. The baby tomatoes, not a real big fan of, but I can eat them. The peppers, the green, the red, and the orange, and the yellow, whatever. A lot of food there, and you're not going to fill up on those. It's something to hold you over. Like I said, you have the ranch in the middle. I'm not a big ranch guy myself, but with that, I can work with it, and no one's going to look at you for eating vegetables. Like, I know maybe it's uncool to think, hey, vegetables are good. Okay, well, grow up. We're not five anymore, okay? No one is going to be like, oh my God, look how many vegetables that kid's eating. Oh oh my God, how gross. And you're not going to feel bad about yourself because you're eating vegetables. Vegetables are good for you. Don't douse it in ranch. I mean, yes, go ahead, dip. Also, with dipping, if, life hack here, not supposed to double dip, totally with that. 
take a thing, uh, take a carrot, dip it in ranch, bite it. You don't put that same end in. What I was told in grade school, we had an etiquette class one time. I was told if you take a bite and you flip the end of whatever you're eating, and so the end isn't bit off, and you dunk that, that's not double dipping. That's totally fine. So there's a life hack at that. Number five food on Thanksgiving right there is the veggie tray that they put out before the actual food comes out. Number four, and I know I might catch some heat for this because I have its brother down the lines, but sweet potatoes. Was not a huge sweet potato guy growing up. Got into the sweet potato fries and then discovered sweet potatoes with the fluff and brown sugar on it. I know that's a walk-in heart attack and a walk-in hope for diabetes, but it's very good, delicious. Try it out. I know it might be a little weird, maybe a little uncomfortable if you're at somebody's house or something like that and you're like, hey, they bring out sweet potatoes and they don't have the fluff, like the fake marshmallow stuff, or they don't have the brown sugar out and you have to ask, hey, like, do y'all have these? And they might not, and then you might look like an idiot, but that's totally fine because it's worth it. But do it. Well worth it, and I recommend it highly. Third, I'm going to put pecan pie, pecan, pecan, whatever you want to say, whatever. Pumpkin pie is generally associated with this because of, I I have no idea why, honestly. I don't feel like it was at the first Thanksgiving or anything like that, but it is, so okay, whatever. But I have always said pumpkin pie, no thank you. Pecan pie, yes please. And not a bit, heat it up, you gotta heat it up, but may not have ice cream, Every household has whipped cream, and the whipped cream, great substitute if they don't have the ice cream. Throw that on there, and it works like a charm. These are my top two Thanksgiving foods. Here we go. Number two, stuffing, dressing, whatever you want to call it. Don't know why it's not cooked more year-round than what it is. I'm sure there are places you can order it at restaurants and i'm sure they sell it at kroger and walmart and wherever else you get your groceries i'm sure they sell it year round but it never gets the publicity and the hype that it should throughout the year besides around thanksgiving time and that's ridiculous to me just not dressing stuffing whatever you call totally disrespected and earns my number two spot on my top five thanksgiving foods and number one obviously duh uh, is he going to say turkey? No, he's not going to say freaking turkey. Turkey is not that good. I'll be honest with you. And when people cook it, most of the time they cook it to where... And maybe this is just my family who does this. I don't know. I mean, they're the only turkeys I'm eating. So I, it might just be my family. But turkey is pretty dry when you eat it. And I get you're supposed to put gravy on and stuff. But like, eh, no thank you. The number one Thanksgiving food is mashed potatoes. You know how hard it is to fuck up mashed potatoes? It is so easy to make, so good. And a little, another pro tip for you that I'm a huge fan of. Take one of those King Hawaiian rolls I told you about. Shout out to my sponsor. They gave me some free rolls. I'm bringing them to Ohio for you. Don't worry, Karis family. I got us. But you take one of those King Hawaiian rolls and you break off a little piece and you dunk it in the mashed potato and you get some mashed potato and you get some king's hawaiian roll and you eat that and that is perfection perfection cannot stress to you how much 
I love that. I will most of the time go back for maybe a second or third and at least one of those, I will only get mashed potatoes and rolls because ooh, is getting it gets me going. Juices are flowing. Now, I know some people are going to question, oh, you left off turkey. You left off mac and cheese. Mac and cheese to me when I think Thanksgiving food is not a Thanksgiving food. Mac and cheese is an everyday type of food if you want to have it. Every day you easily can. It's nothing special to me where I think of it as a Thanksgiving food. Also, I probably might catch some hate for that pumpkin pie reference. That's okay. I'm willing to take that heat. I was going to put deviled eggs on the list as well somewhere, but top five, it just isn't going to work. Used to hate those things and tasted one actually for the first time in my life during at Christmas break over in Ohio at Christmas and delicious. Can't believe I held such a disdain for them even though I hadn't had them. Um, Potato salad. Obviously, always up there, but I don't associate potato salad really with Thanksgiving food. So, those are my top five Thanksgiving foods. And I know I said it kind of earlier, but I just, if you stop listening after this, thank you. I totally appreciate you listening. Um, super thankful for everyone that has ever taken the time to listen to a second of Carson Sack that has ever said anything nice to me about it, thanked me for making it. I've had people do that. It feels amazing to hear that. Any one of the numerous people that every week I bug them with a text or a Snapchat and say, hey, please like and retweet this, tweet on Twitter about it so I can spread. It means a ton to me. I can't begin to thank you all enough and I know I say something along these lines every week but I can't begin to stress enough how much it means for your support as friends and family that I get from you all it just means a ton to me so thank you all once again and now let's talk a little college football the first game I have to talk about it has been buzzing and I know this is a this week's game. Normally, I look back a little bit, but I have to talk about this game. I would feel terrible if I didn't. It's the Mount Union Purple Raiders, coached by Vince Karras, going up against the Center Colonels. A matchup for the ages. I was alerted today that both of these teams' starting quarterbacks are hurt. Centers a little bit more banged up than Mount Union's. Mount Union's with a high ankle sprain may not play. I Hard to speculate. Center last week put up 54 points against Washington and Jefferson. That's one team. It's Wash Jeff, not two different teams in a separate thing. Um, they put up bunch of points uh center 26 first downs third down efficiency 56 percent converting when it's necessary staying on the field which is what they're gonna have to do this coming week against mount union and a very high powered offense itself looking at some players for center last week in their performances Ben Logson was 2 for 2 on field goals with a long of 41 6 for 6 on extra points 
Knock on wood, because I'm not trying to jinx you here, Ben, but pretty much automatic. That's me knocking on wood. You're welcome. Jalen Hibbs had four receptions for 72 yards. Long was 23. Didn't find the end zone, which was shocking to me, but that's okay. Um, Moving on, let's see. Zach Berger, three tackles. Five assist tackles, two and a half sacks, just all over the field as a defensive tear. So, looking ahead, I'll be honest with you. I've been to two center games this year, and their offense and defense, offense especially, very high-powered, put a lot of points on the board. Defense stepped steps up in big moments and very good as well. I know very little about Mountain Union besides that they are normally very good. It's going to hurt the Colonels a little bit, I feel like, without their starting quarterback. But I've, I've talked to some kids on the team. Talked to, I'm not going to say his name because he said some really wild, outlandish things as well. Guaranteeing a win, actually, is what he did. He guaranteed a win. A 24-21 to 21 win. Well, first he said 27-24, to 24, and then he said something a little mean about one of the players on Mount Union. I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus here, but center is going to have to play, I feel like, one of their best, if not the best game to win, and I think they can, and I think the Colonels do it, and I think they beat Mount Union, they beat Akaris, I'm totally fine with that, and I hope they get to host in the third round, because I cannot wait, if they do, to go and show support for all my boys that go there, roll Colonels, whatever other saying y'all have, I'm with y'all 100% this weekend, good luck, and I hope you all bring back a W to Danville. All right, now that that is taken care of, the most important game of this coming week is taken care of. We can look back about last week's, and obviously I need to start with Ohio State and Maryland. Oh my goodness, the overtime thriller, that game nearly gave me a heart attack. It took years off of my life. Years, I'm not even kidding. I was so nervous that entire game. It was ridiculous. Dwayne Haskins on the game. Finished with 405 yards, three touchdowns through the air, three rushing touchdowns as well, six touchdowns on the day. J.K. Dobbins had 203 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Terry McLaurin had four receptions, 118 yards and one touchdown. McFarland, the running back for Maryland, had 298 yards and two touchdowns. He ran all over Ohio State's defense. He had multiple big runs on their first series. He had, I think, a 75-yard touchdown run, which it looked to me once I like saw replays and everything, it was more of they called a good play for the defense that Ohio State called. That's going to happen in games sometimes, and there's nothing really you can do about it. He got past the front line, and he was gone. So, And if you look at it, the D-line was slanting to the left, which is the offense's right. And the play went to the offense's left and the defense's right. So the whole D-line and linebackers were sort of taken out of the equation a little bit with the slant and stunts itself inside. And the running back in front got past him. And I'm going to chalk that up, like I said, to more of a good offensive call 
to a bad defensive call. But on another one of his long runs, he just made a man miss, broke a tackle in, in the box, and then was gone. That is not going to fly for the Michigan game or and if they do beat Michigan, the Big Ten Championship game and any bowl game that they are in. It's just not going to happen. Um, Urban Meyer looked like he was ready to have an aneurysm on the sideline that entire game, which I know some people are going to say, oh, he was acting it up. He was show not showboating, but drawing attention to it and giving himself an out. I don't think he was. I think he always does that. It was just more prevalent this game because ESPN, I think, for some reason, was just so bound and determined to show him freak out every fucking time something happened. And big plays were happening plenty for Maryland, so he had plenty of opportunities to do that and cause a scene and not draw attention to himself on purpose, but do his regular mannerisms that he does all the time but isn't shown because there's not that many big plays normally that happen. What is frustrating, and I texted my dad this, and I was trying to stay positive after the game, was the offense looked real good. J.K. Dobbins had his best game of the year. We were able to run the ball. Dwayne looked fantastic. Another close game to where that if there is, a, this Michigan game does turn into being a close game. They're going to have another close game experience on the road that they can look back and draw on. Benjamin Victor is just Mr. Big Play. Made one in the Penn State game. Made one here to keep their hopes alive. The defense is very concerning. Oh, boy. Big play after big play. And they welcome into the shoe Michigan, who isn't known for their big plays, but can definitely hit them if they're given the opportunity. And that is extremely scary. I'm going to talk more about the Ohio State-Michigan game when I talk about the upcoming games. But like I said, needed to talk about the Ohio State-Maryland game a little bit. And that's what my thoughts were on that. Then we can move on to another game this week. There weren't really, like I said, that many big games this past week. The other, well, the first big notable game that got a lot of attention was Syracuse and Notre Dame. At the time, Syracuse was ranked 12th, Notre Dame was ranked 3rd, and Notre Dame just flat out, even though they wore the most god-awful jerseys, like I said, took it to Syracuse. Ian Book had 292 yards, two touchdowns. Williams on the ground had 74 yards and a touchdown for the Irish. Um, Dungy, the quarterback for Syracuse, he got hurt. DeVito came in 105 yards and two interceptions. And once Dungy was out, that was kind of it for Syracuse because he just makes that offense go. And if they were going to have any chance, it was going to be putting up a bunch of points because that defense of Notre Dame is just so good. And they, t- I was watching the college football playoff show tonight, and they were saying – that Alabama and Clemson are kind of in their own. And they're saying that after this win, Notre Dame kind of creeps up to that level a little bit more. Um, No, I don't believe that to be true at all. And I don't think Alabama and Clemson are in a league of their own. I think Alabama's in a league of its own, and Clemson is just kind of there. They haven't really impressed me a bunch. Notre Dame has played good in games this year. Obviously, I mean, you blow out Syracuse, but 
I'm not I was not sold on Syracuse completely, so I mean yeah, sure, they were ranked twelfth in the country at the time and that says something for that win a little bit, but I'm still not sold entirely on Notre Dame. I am sure that if they do beat USC, they'll definitely find a position in the college football playoff unless all hell breaks loose and Georgia beats Alabama in the SEC championship game. And then the whole conversation of, well, Notre Dame doesn't even have a conference championship to play in. Should they be in? Um, All that can happen, but I just don't think Georgia's going to beat Alabama. So, spoiler alert, Notre Dame, if they do handle business at USC, which I'll talk about in the upcoming week previews, I think they do. I think they find their way into the college football playoff, not having to play in a conference championship game. Moving on to another one of the big games, and I call this, I call this upset, super proud of myself. West Virginia fell to Oklahoma State 45-41. to Cornelius for Oklahoma State, 338 yards, five touchdowns. Will Greer had 364 yards and two touchdowns. And when I was watching this game, I watched only the fourth quarter, and it felt so weird to me, but looking at it, and when I was watching, it just felt that West Virginia was making more of the big plays than Oklahoma State was. And I don't mean like big like yardage plays. I mean like significance and everything. Um, when Greer on fourth down converted and they got the touchdown on that drive as well late in the game. Well, not late in the game, but middle of the fourth quarter, I would say. Yes, late in the game. And that, to me, was kind of, I felt like the dagger. But Oklahoma State... Gundy and Cornelius just didn't give up, and they kept playing, and they got the W. Knocks West Virginia out of the playoff contention, leaving Oklahoma, the only Big 12 team really, left with a chance. They play each other, and that's going to be a hell of a matchup. Um, Both of these teams are extremely high-scoring, but like I said, Happy with myself that I called the upset, but watching the game and seeing the significant plays, it to me it felt like it was West Virginia's game, and they just at the end couldn't get it done. Now, last game, yeah, last game I want to talk about. You had it was a Saturday night game where college game day was in town. You had Cincinnati who was 24th in the country at the time, went to the 11th-ranked undefeated UCF Knights. Milton Mackenzie Milton had 268 yards, three touchdowns, and the defense for UCF played incredible. The fans packed the stadium. It was extremely rowdy, a raucous environment. I don't know. I know a couple teams that would have went in there and been able to win, but, boy, the way UCF played that night, and the and just the crowd and how electric it was and everything was an amazing environment. UCF is a very hot topic button right now. They're ninth in the country uh, after the rankings that came out. I'll read off the entire rankings for you in when the preview comes for next week. But it's it's a sign of just. This was their biggest game this year so far, and 
not taking anything away from Cincinnati, but Cincinnati not thought of as a football power. This was the first time they were ranked in the college football playoff rankings was this year at 24. I understand they did beat them in a very convincing fashion, but I'm just not sold on UCF just yet. Yes, Mackenzie Milton is good, and that defense played the best it has all year, but I just don't think that they should be ninth in the country. And that's not me being mad because they're ahead of Ohio State. I mean, UK was ahead of Ohio State. That's fine. I don't care. Should they be top 10? Yeah, sure. I'm fine with them being 10. I really have no problem with them. But the way I saw some analysts react and fans react, they were wanting UCF to be placed higher and everything. And it's just not... I don't think they should be just based on the quality of wins. And this is not me taking anything, trying to take anything away from Cincinnati because they've had a great year. Their defense has played extremely well. Luke Fickle has played extremely well. Desmond Ritter has been exceptional at quarterback in his first year, starting for them as a freshman. Just done incredible. I'm not, like I said, I'm not trying to take anything away from Cincinnati, but I don't want people to give UCF too much credit for their win on Saturday night. Now we look ahead and the rankings, as I promised, for week 13 of the college football season, you have Alabama, Clemson, Notre Dame, Michigan. Those are one through four. The top five, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten, it goes Georgia, Oklahoma, LSU. Don't know how the hell they're still there. That's sort of their ceiling. They're not going to move forward. Um, eight is Washington State, who I think should be above LSU. As I said, UCF was nine. Ohio State was ten. And then 11 through 20 goes Florida, Penn State, West Virginia, Texas. Kentucky finds itself at 15. Washington, Utah, Mississippi State, Northwestern, who's going to be in the Big Ten Championship game, as we all know. And then Syracuse falls from 12 to 20th. And rounding out the top 25, it goes Utah State, who... Great year for them, 10-1. Texas A&M, Boise State, Pitt, who at 7-4 is going to find a way to play Clemson in the ACC championship game because the ACC is a tough conference. It's a tough, let me tell you, it's a tough conference. It's Clemson and then no one else. North Carolina State, not that good. Miami, not that good. Pitt, not that good, but hey, you know, they're ACC. We need a matchup of top 25 teams in conference championship games, so let's rank them. I think that'll be good. Yeah, okay. And then Iowa State, 25th, like I said. That is your top 25 college football rankings for week 13. It's rivalry here. It's the last week of the regular season in college football, so we have to talk about Obviously, rivalry games. Not really thought of as a rivalry, but a big game that is promised. Big fireworks and big numbers on the scoreboard. Oklahoma at West Virginia. People are still thinking that it could potentially be them in the um, Big 12 Championship game. I think West Virginia plays spoiler this week. I think they're going to come out. I think Holgram, that coach for West Virginia, is going to come out pissed off and just try and bury them and what isn't really talked about is Oklahoma's defense is trash obviously and Kyler Murray is bailing them out of games and that's not really hurting their rankings at all and I don't understand why 
because that defense is not able to stop anybody. I understand Kyler Murray and Lincoln Riley can put up points on anyone, but I think this is the week it catches up to him and West Virginia wins. And then we look at a big Pac-12 matchup. You have the 16th, 16th ranked, 16th ranked, Washington State Cougars. It's at, like I said, at Washington State. Uh, Minishu, the quarterback for Washington State, 4,325 4, yards, 36 touchdowns, only seven interceptions. Jake Browning for Washington after his stellar freshman year has once again kind of put up middling numbers so far this year. 2,485 yards, 16 touchdowns, 8 interceptions. Gaskin hasn't even broke 1,000 yards rushing for Washington this entire year. Only 7 touchdowns. I think it's Washington State's game. They put up over 60 points last week. And I think it being at Washington State is only going to help them. And they get a big W to take them to the Pac-12 championship game and potentially put them in the college football playoff if enough things happen for them. Oh, let's see. Auburn and Alabama. Alabama in this one, obviously, it's at Alabama. ESPN given Alabama a 91.1% chance to win. And so, I mean, if you want to quote as an Auburn fan, if you want to quote Lloyd Christmas, so you're saying there's a chance, but I just really don't think there is. Yes, it'll probably be emotional and close for maybe a quarter or so, but I just think that... Alabama runs away with this one. I think Tua has an incredible game if he can stay in the game and not leave with an injury, which I'm, I don't want to happen. I don't wish ill on any player ever like that. I really don't. If he can stay in there, I think maybe you might not even see him in the fourth quarter. I think that this game has the potential to get away from Auburn, and I hate to say that, but I just really think it does. Pittsburgh goes to Miami. Miami has been in a downward spiral all year. Pittsburgh, they're already in the ACC championship game. This is really pretty much just a toss-up here. I'm going to take Pittsburgh just because they're ranked and everything. South Carolina goes to Clemson. Clemson's going to rush the field after they've beaten 6-4 and four team. Good for them. LSU plays Texas A&M. I think Texas A&M gets them this week. I think Joe Burrow has a bad game. It being at Kyle Field, and I think Mon, the quarterback for Texas A&M, has a big game. I think Jimbo Fisher gets his sort of signature win this season in this game, the last game of the year, and they beat LSU, giving them three losses on the year. Notre Dame goes to USC. Daniels, the quarterback for USC, only 13 touchdowns, 10 interceptions on the year. I know he's a freshman and everything, but you got to do better than that if you're going to be the quarterback at a school like USC. And I, I don't want Notre Dame in the playoff, but I think Ian Book gets it done in this game. They've put up so many more points since Kelly made the change from Wimbush to Ian Book. And... Uh, Williams, the running back for Notre Dame, 11 touchdowns on the year. Just a complete, they have a complete offense, and it's hard to really find any real weakness with this team. And I think that they're going to be coached well enough, and you're going to be able to handle the moment and the pressure on the road at USC. I think it's closer than what people are expecting right off. The line, I mean, right now is. Jeez, what is the line? 
ten and a half for Notre Dame. It might be a little bit closer than what they're saying there, but I think Notre Dame gets it done and wins at USC. Utah State plays Boise State. I'm going to take Boise State just because they already upset a team um, in Fresno State earlier this year. It's at Boise State, so it's on the Smurf field. I hate that field, but I it fits so perfect for Boise State. So I'm going to take Boise State in that one. The next two games I need to talk about hit very close to home. The first one, 15th ranked Kentucky goes to... Two and nine, the University of Louisville Cardinals. Um, what more can you say in this one besides Louisville's defense is bad? They cannot stop the run, and Kentucky has Benny Snell, and they also have Terry Wilson. They might just run the ball down U of L's throats, and I know this is going to happen, but it's going to be closer than people expect. It's a rivalry game, and I hate saying that because it's so cliche, but it's so true, especially in this because, like, this is going to be the last game for U of L. Interim coach, he's got nothing to lose. Last game of the year, the team has nothing to play for besides this game right now, so why would they not go out and just pull out all the stops, all the trick plays, all everything? play like there is no tomorrow because there is no tomorrow for the University of Louisville football after this Saturday for the season for the season I'm not saying ever but and Kentucky is going to have to be able to withstand that and I think they can I think Terry Wilson is going to need to have a very good game either on the ground or through the air I don't think we need both but you got to figure something out and if it's through the air then I more than likely it's going to be CJ Conrad and Lynn Bowden how it's been the entire year. Maybe, all right, there, here's what I'll say. I think Benny has two to three touchdowns, and I think Terry has two to three touchdowns combined through the air and on the ground. And I think Lynn has at least one touchdown as well through the air. There you go, and I think UK wins the game, obviously. Now, as I said, a game that hits extremely close to home. It's the game. Oh, my. All right, I'm going to... Obviously, yes, I'm an Ohio State fan, so I think this is the best rivalry in college football. But Paul Feinbaum today was saying that Auburn and Alabama is. It's not. I mean, look at the tradition and the history and the hatred and all the memorable moments that happened in the Ohio State-Michigan game. Not saying that there isn't those moments and players and everything like that in the Alabama-Auburn, but... Ohio State-Michigan, that is the rivalry in college football. And I went off and I said, well, of course Paul Feinbaum would fucking say this. He's paid by the SEC Network. He's paid by, he works for the SEC Network. He's paid by them. He covers them. Like, they're who signs his check. Of course he's going to side with that. Like, no shit. And of course I'm going to side with Ohio State-Michigan because I'm an Ohio State fan. And I want that to be thought of as the rivalry. And I it should be. Granted, Michigan hasn't shown up. They haven't beat Ohio State since 2000 at Ohio State. That's 18 years. That's nine games. They haven't done that. It's it hasn't been much of a rivalry recently. This all always a close game because cliche again. It's a rivalry, but this year is the most nervous I've been 
as an Ohio State fan going into the game. And I know I'm not supposed to be saying Michigan because it's Michigan hate week, but I can't just say Michigan or Exigan or that team up north the entire time because you all just get fucking pissed. I'm not going to do that. But Shea Patterson on the year, 2,177 yards, 18 touchdowns through the air, four interceptions. Higdon on the ground, 1,106 yards and 10 touchdowns. Uh... Peoples-Jones for Michigan, 32 receptions, 477 yards, and 7 touchdowns. So they have playmakers all across that offense. The leaders for Ohio State, obviously Haskins with 3,685 yards. Only 7 interceptions, which he's going to need to capitalize immensely on that. We cannot turn the ball over once against Michigan this entire week at all, or else that is just even more just an uphill battle that we might already have to climb. We cannot add just unnecessary obstacles like that. J.K. Dobbins has 915 yards and eight touchdowns on the year. Uh, Mike Weber didn't play last week at Maryland. He was dealing with a leg injury. He does expect to be back for this game, which is good because we're going to need to control the clock and be able to run the ball, and having both of those guys there is immensely important. And... All the receivers for Ohio State is gonna need are gonna need to step up, but I'm I say all this and I know the offense will probably be fine. They showed that yeah there are some weak spots there occasionally running the ball, but they got back on track last week. But it's obviously comes down to the defense and being able to limit the big plays, get Michigan off the field on third down, making big plays. They've shown that. The D-line has shown that they're able to get the ball back and make turnovers when necessary. They did it against TCU. They did it against Penn State late in the game. They did it last week, um, forcing turnovers and coming up with big, the big, the biggest stop of the game um, on the two-point conversion in overtime that evidently obviously won the game for Ohio State, but... This game is not a game if Ohio State played like it did last week, the defense at least, because Michigan is too good of a team and has too good of a defense to where if they're able to just move the ball downfield at will, whatever they want, it's just over with, I feel like. And I know Urban undefeated against Harbaugh and everything like that, but this Ohio State team is not like a team he's had before. What I think... He's going to try and do which they did last week on offense is they ran Dwayne a little bit more. Tate Martell is probably going to get some looks as well, running the ball a little bit. And I can almost guarantee you he's going to throw the ball at some point in this game. I don't even care if it's just the patented short little jump pass that he started. Not Urban didn't start, but brought back pretty much with Tebow at Florida, but I guarantee you Tate Martell is going to throw the ball at least one time in this game. Defense, the defensive line has to have for Ohio State the best game they've had all year for them to have a chance, and I think that's doable. The linebackers and the rest of the back end of the defense need to sure up coverages and being able to make open field tackles. That's going to be huge for their defense and everything. And I know it's sort of just generic old stuff, but it's what Ohio State has struggled with all year, keeping men in front of them and making tackles in the open field and... Like I said, I know it's 
just generic and should be easy, but they just haven't been able to do it, and it's extremely bothersome. At the end of the day, obviously I'm going to pick Ohio State. Somehow find a way to win. I'll chalk it up to a masterful Dwayne Haskins performance. J.K. Dobbins and Mike Weber playing outstanding. The defensive line forcing a turnover or two and making a big play when it needs to. And the secondary and linebackers being able to limit big play opportunities. And maybe Harbaugh tries to get cute and forces some things and miss calls a few plays here and there in certain situations. I know Harbaugh's not really known for that, but maybe. And I, the way it, I know the way I'm talking makes it seem that I think Ohio State doesn't really have a chance. They obviously do, and I definitely think they can win. It's just going to take them playing for 60 minutes old Ohio State football, because this year this Ohio State team is nothing like what Ohio State teams have been in the past. Ohio State teams in the past have been, hey, we're really good at defense. Our quarterback can throw the ball a little bit, can run and get us first downs when we need to. This year, it's we're throwing the ball. We're spreading it out. Our defense is kind of iffy. We're going to need to score a lot of points a game, and luckily we've been able to do that for 10 out of the 11 games we've played in. We've been able to put up enough points to win. And this week, I think it's no different. I think Ohio State finds a way and gets it done and beats Michigan in the game in the best college football rivalry in the country. We now move on to NFL talk. And Thursday, Thanksgiving Day, we have three matchups. Three fairly important matchups as well. Um... In the NFC North, we have the Bears going to the Lions. Nothing like a noon Lions game on Thanksgiving to just really jumpstart that day. Let me tell you. You eat at 12.30, 1, whatever. Your halftime kicks in, you're probably done, or you're eating dessert. And that nap that you can get during that halftime or Whatever of that Lions game is something that is unmatched. I look forward to it every year, and I'm looking forward to it this year. Game-wise, the Lions coming off a big win last week against the Panthers where they kept Cam Newton out of the end zone on a two-point conversion. Cam just kind of missed the throw, honestly. Don't think that carries over at all, and I think the Bears, who just got a big win on Sunday night against the Vikings to stay atop the NFC North standings, I think Trubisky puts up a big game, and it's for these teams, all these teams, on playing on Thursday. The turnaround could be a bit of an issue, but I just think that the way that the Bears are playing right now and the defense has been playing all year, especially with Cleo Mack when he's healthy, that they just get after Matthew Stafford a little bit and the Bears end up winning this game. The next game on the plate, not the slate, the plate, get it? Because it's like Thanksgiving, you eat plate. Yeah, whatever. I hate myself sometimes too. Um, The Redskins, who lost Alex Smith, who 
hate to see the injury that he had last week against the Texans on, I mean, you've seen tweets or heard it already, obviously, on the 33rd anniversary of Joe Theismann and the Lawrence Taylor hit, who also who ended Theismann's career. Do I think this ends Alex Smith's career? No, but it's definitely a long rehab process. Alex Smith is 34. I don't know if his time in Washington will be done or not, but I wish nothing about nothing but the best for Alex Smith in his recovery. Uh, Colt McCoy is now the starting quarterback, and Colt McCoy's decent. Never, I don't think, is going to be the guy that's like going to go win you a playoff game or anything like that, but can definitely be competitive and competent and win you games in the regular season. And they face the Cowboys. The Cowboys are one of the hottest teams in the NFL, and it's because they've discovered how to run the ball again, and Dak Prescott is making plays through the air. I think just the momentum they're riding, it being in Jerry World on Thanksgiving and everything like that, I think it's a perfect recipe for the Cowboys to continue their win streak, to move to 6-5 and five on the year, and get themselves in prime position to make a run at the NFC East title. Now we go to the Falcons and the Saints. They are the nightcap game where you are going to be sneaking back into the kitchen for leftovers at this point. And I will say, I'll tell you this right now. I trashed turkey earlier, but the leftover turkey sandwich with some sauce on it with a little slider mode, ooh, that's good. I'll take that over the regular turkey any day. Uh, Saints are the hot. I'll say they are the hottest team in the NFL right now. And I just continue. I just think that continues to roll. Their defense has been playing like it did last year when they were winning games. They get Mark Ingram back. They had him back, but once they got him back, the run game really started to pick up. And they were playing like they did last year. And Sean Payton is on a tear right now. He was going for it up 30 points on 4th and 7. And Drew Brees is throwing touchdowns to Alvin Kamara on 4th and 7s up 30 points. Uh, They're playing pissed off. And the Falcons defense just isn't good enough to slow them down. The Falcons are good enough to score with them. But they're not good enough to stop them. And in this league, you got to be able to stop people and... The Saints defense is good enough to slow down. Um, Not really a running game for Atlanta, but slow down that offense because it's sort of one-dimensional. It's Matt Ryan dropping back and throwing it a shit ton of times, and they'll be able to stop them, and the Saints get the win. So I know I took all favorites, but I just think that's the kind of day it's going to be. I think the Bears, Cowboys, and Saints are your winners on the – Thursday and I know they give out like the turkey legs to players after each game I'll run through that I think that Trubisky and Allen Robinson are the guys that they give the turkey legs to for the Bears-Lions game I think Zeke and Vanderbosch are the guys they give it to for the Cowboys and I think that Kamara and say Kamara and Drew Brees are the guys they give it to for the Saints, but Mark Ingram and Mike Thomas will come out and crash that because they love attention. I don't blame them, but whatever. But we can move now on to the Sunday games. 
First one I need to talk about is the Patriots at the Jets. The Patriots coming off the bye week. Julian Edelman hurt in the last game against the Titans where the Titans embarrassed the Patriots. I'll say it. They embarrassed them. But I think it's about time. We've seen this story so many times before. The Patriots, I think, now sitting at 7-3, coming down the home stretch, are going to put everything together and start to look like what the Patriots always look like come playoff time and come crunch time in the NFL season. And I think it starts this week. This game is always a close, tough battle, but I just think that this year and this week, it's just not going to be that, especially coming off the bye week and the loss and them having two weeks to hear about it. The Patriots are going to come out and dominate the Jets. Next game, the 49ers and the Buccaneers. Jameis Winston is going to get the start for the Buccaneers. Last week it was Fitzpatrick. This week it's Jameis Winston. The Buccaneers are a shit show. The 49ers are a good team. No, Okay, they're a good, bad team. They're fun to watch. I'm going to take them in this one. I just think that Nick Mullins is going to be able to do enough things on offense for the 49ers and... Jameis Winston will probably do Jameis Winston things, a.k.a. throw multiple interceptions, and they will be able to capitalize on that, and the 49ers will get the W. The next game is the Giants at the Eagles. The Eagles are dog shit. They are bad. They are really bad, and the Giants are sort of coming around. I'm Like I said, I'm riding with Odell. Odell said they might as well just win out and finish 9-7 and seven and see what happens. I'm going to keep riding with that until that horse bucks me off. So I'm going to take the Giants in this one. Both of those teams, though, need a win real bad. I would say the Eagles need it way more than the Giants. I mean, obviously both teams do need it, but for the narrative and the way the media is talking about teams, the Eagles need it real bad. Um... The Raiders at the Ravens. Lamar Jackson looked pretty okay in his first start in the NFL. Um, ran the ball 23 times. Uh, threw the ball. Completed it. Oh, hold on. Let me see. Lamar, last game, ran the ball. Oh, 23 times he ran the ball. I'm sorry. I'm bumbling over this. But... Ran the ball 23 times for 117 yards. Yeah, 117 yards for tw- on 27 carries, excuse me. 27 carries is a lot for a quarterback. It's a lot for a running back. It's a lot for anybody. Um, was 13 and 19 for 150 yards and interception. So not really dazzling with throwing the ball or anything like that, but... I think that'll come, um, especially he's got a good opportunity this week against the Raiders, who doesn't don't really have a pass rush, don't really have a good secondary or anything. I'll take the Ravens in this one. Jaguars at Bills, that's going to be a shitty game. I'll take the Jaguars. The Seahawks go to the Panthers. Both these teams need a win to keep the playoff hopes alive. The Panthers are on a bit of a downward spiral after losing their last two games. The Seahawks are looking really good. They won on Thursday night against the Packers, and they played the Rams pretty close the week before that. 
I think the Panthers and Cam Newton get back on the winning track and the defense for them steps up, finds a way to stop the run, which is what Seattle's been doing so well the last couple weeks, and the Panthers get the W in that. The Browns go to the Bengals. I think Baker Mayfield wakes up feeling dangerous again, and the Browns walk into Paul Brown Stadium and get the W against the Bengals. Cardinals and Chargers. Chargers coming off that disappointing loss to the Broncos last week. Denver played like their hair was on fire in the fourth quarter, sparking the comeback. And I think the Cardinals, with Josh Rosen, I he hasn't had a good rookie year at all. But I think he's might turn out like Jared Goff, where that rookie year is going to leave some question marks. But... I think there might be a renaissance for his career, a renaissance. Like, he's played however many games, and he's played poorly, and I'm saying he's going to have a a rebirth. Okay. But I think he'll continue to develop, and this rookie year is what I'm saying. is nothing to judge him off of just yet. But in this game, I'm going to take the Chargers. I think Melvin Gordon has a big game, and I think that's all you need to know about that. Dolphins go to the Colts. The Colts are hot. They are on fire. Take the Colts in this one because Andrew Luck is feeling it. That's all I have to say about that. Steelers at the Broncos. Steelers coming from behind last week against the Jaguars. And Ben was looking real bad. But this game... In Denver, the ball is going to be floating on deep balls for Big Ben to either Juju or Antonio Brown. James Conner last week, it was his worst game of the year. He dropped, I mean, it didn't matter because they ended up winning, but he dropped a catch on the final drive that would have been a touchdown. And I saw some and heard some analysts say that, oh, Le'Veon, Obviously would have made these catches, blah, blah, blah. Okay, James Conner proved he can catch the ball just as well. So let's lay off of him. He makes a couple mistakes, a couple drop passes here and there. But there's no need to give up on him or anything like that. Um, in this game, I'm going to take the Steelers. And a they're going to score a lot. And Case Keenum is going to make a mistake here or there. And that's going to be the deciding factor as the Steelers win. On Monday night, the Titans play the Texans. Marcus Mariota will probably be out for that game, and Blaine Gabbard will be in, and the Texans will win their eighth game in a row. And then the Sunday night game is the Packers at the Vikings. I am officially, I want to give up on the Vikings, but I just can't. I really can't. I know Kirk Cousins played extremely bad and has only won four primetime games, and it's just not... His performance last Sunday night leaves little to be desired, and it definitely brings up question marks as should he, they brought him in and paid him all the money that they did. Was he worth it? I think he is. I still think he is, and I still think that team is good enough to where they can find maybe a wild card or something like that, and if that defense can play like it should play, that offense with Thielen and Diggs and Cook and Rudolph, if he ever gets his head out of his ass and Latavius Murray as the second back is good enough to put points on the board and it's not in Lambeau I'm gonna mm, 
No, I'm going to take the Packers. I think Aaron Rodgers makes enough plays for them, and they get it done. And that is my preview for Week 12 of the NFL football season. I told you I would talk about college basketball a little bit, and the big tournament that's been going on has been the Maui Gym Maui Invitational. That's a terrible name, but that's what they're going with because Maui Gym paid them a fuck ton of money. Um, In the first round of those games... You had Duke beat San Diego State pretty handedly, and Zion Williams and R.J. Barrett and Cam Radish looked great because they are. You had Gonzaga beat a good Iowa State team. You had Arizona beat Illinois, and then you had Auburn beat... Who did Auburn play? Auburn played... Xavier, excuse me, sorry. Xavier is not good. They are not. I I mean, I know they lose Chris Mack and everything, but the talent that they had coming back, I thought they'd be much better this year. And I'm basing that solely off a loss to Auburn and them not being able to cover a tease spread for me against Evansville um, that I bet on them earlier in the year. I know this isn't a gambling podcast, but that's where I'm basing my knowledge off of Xavier so far this year. Um, today, Duke beat Auburn in a pretty close game, actually, 78-72. The score at the end kind of, it wasn't that close the entire game. Duke was sort of up a lot throughout the game, and then Auburn battled its way back a little bit, but it was never really as close as the final score indicated. Clemson, after surviving against Akron, Clemson 16th in the country, um, ran ass over Georgia 64-49. to Right now, as I'm recording this in my living room, watching Arizona is up 53-52 to on Gonzaga. Everyone's sort of thinking just Gonzaga-Duke was going to be the matchup. And I think the way this game is going right now, Gonzaga was down after the first half, but this second half they've come out with their hair on fire, and Arizona's having a hard time finding any offense the pace of play is going all of Gonzaga's way so that's just something to look at um Louisville has a big game tomorrow well today if you're listening to it on Wednesday against Tennessee gonna be Louisville's first real test I think with Chris McEnany I mean, they keep it closer than a lot of people are expecting but I think Tennessee the spread's eight and a half I think they cover that pretty easily um some other games to look at the I'll be honest with you the battle for Atlantis this year is not good at all so don't worry about that that's pretty much shaping up to be a Wisconsin and Virginia final so there'll be about seven or eight white guys on the floor at all times in that game so that's something to look forward to if you're into that sort of thing but besides that there aren't many big things going on in college basketball yet if the does end up being where it goes to Kentucky not Kentucky Duke versus Gonzaga it's so hard right now to pick against Duke because just they haven't shown any weakness even when Zion and them were in foul trouble a little bit yesterday against San Diego State in the first half their backups came in and provided good enough minutes and everything like that to where they could hold on to the lead and as long as some teams don't even have one t- 
top 10 guy on their team. This team has three top five guys on their team in Duke. So if one of them is on the court, they have a guy they can get the ball to and facilitate the offense through, and he can run the offense and do everything for them if he needs to and take over the game. So it's if it does wind up being Duke versus Gonzaga, I have to take Duke. It'll be a good game. I like what Gonzaga does. I hate Gonzaga as a undercover St. Mary's fan. They're the Gales' biggest rival. But what Mark Few has done with the Gonzaga program and what he's got this year, right now the third-ranked team in the country, um, it'll be a good game. They don't have Killian Tilly, which he is a total difference maker, and the game would I think would be a lot different, obviously, if he was playing for Gonzaga. But he's not going to be because he's injured. So Maui Invitational, if it winds up being... Duke and Gonzaga, I take Duke. If it winds up being Duke and Arizona, I take Arizona. Um, the fan of me wants it to be Gonzaga because it'll be a much better, tighter game, I feel like. But, again, the Duke Blue Devils are number one in the country for a reason because they're that damn good. All right, that's it. I'm done. Um, enjoy your Thanksgiving. Spend it with time with friends and family. The... That's all I got to say. Thank you so much for listening. Like, rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. Uh, go Colonels, go Buckeyes, go Cats. Everything for this weekend. And as we always end here on Carson Sack Podcast, where we talk balls, we will be. See you.